0: Good morning. It's very good to be with you again. It's always a treat to come here where people have been so supportive of Heather and I for a very long time, and so thank you. I want to speak with you this morning about disappointment with God. There was a book written in 1990 by Philip Yancey by this title, and there were three questions that he said people are hesitant to ask. Well, I haven't written them as questions. God is or seems unfair? God is or seems silent? God is or seems hidden? These are not questions that we normally um, clap about or when we get together, we think, oh, hurrah. Uh, We don't normally think that way about these questions. I want to speak with you from the story of Rebecca, uh, because Rebecca is a delightful young person who absolutely sparkles in this story. And then there is a time later on when she says, I am disgusted with living. The same person said both of those things. Though the Rebecca story begins for us today in Genesis chapter 24. So if you, I'm going to tell the story, but you can follow along in your Bible if you wish. The story is of Abraham when he is old and he realizes that perhaps he has neglected something. His son, who's not really a kid anymore, is 37 years old, but he needs a wife. And he's concerned that he doesn't marry some girl from around here. Like, no, no, I didn't mean that. Uh, (laughs) I don't want him to marry a girl from around this area. So he calls his most trusted servant who has been with him for years. And he calls this servant to him and he said, I need to find a suitable wife for my son. Not from here. I want you to go back to where my family is from. And I want you to find a wife from there. So, you know, this man has been around Abraham for a long time. He's no dummy. He says, well, what if I go there and she doesn't want to come here? Is it okay for me to take Isaac there? And he says, no, 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 you don't take Isaac there. He said, if she doesn't want to come, you're released from this oath. So he begins to travel. It's about two weeks of walking up into southwest Turkey today where his relatives were living. So he has 10 camels and he's walking up that way. It takes him two weeks. There's nothing said about the trip, but everything happens when he gets there. He arrives at this village or town where his relatives are from and he kneels down by the well and he prays. He said, oh God, God of my master Abraham, May it be that whatever girl comes out here to draw water and I ask her, would you give me a drink? And she says, yes, I'll give you a drink. And then if she goes on to say, and I'll draw water for your camels also, let her be the one. Now, he took 10 camels, and I understand camels can drink a lot of water like 20 to 30 gallons each. So I don't know whether she hauled up enough water for that much for all of them, but it took a while. And Abraham's servant was watching, watching this girl, intent on what was happening. When she finished, he gave her gold bracelets and a ring for her nose. What do you think? would a ring for her nose go down well here? At, but it was a big ring. <laughs> he gave her a ring for her nose and golden bracelets and he said, who are you? Where are you from? And she said, I am the daughter of Bethuel and the granddaughter of Nahor. And, uh, and in the east, that's how people introduce themselves. This, I'm so-and-so is my father. This is my grandfather. So you can know how to put it all together. And he was marveling. And he said, by the way, would there be room in your father's house for me and where I could stay overnight? She said, absolutely, there's room in my father's house and for your camels too. She's got camels on her brain. They go there. And when Laban, her brother, who has an eye for money, when he sees the bracelets and the nose ring, and he hears this man comes and he's obviously... Of some means, and they invite him in. And Abraham's servant says, Before anything else, I have to tell you why I have come. My master is Abraham. He has become wealthy, he's old now, and he's going to give everything that he owns to his son Isaac. But Isaac does not have a wife, and he asked me to come here to find a wife. That's why I'm here. And this is what happened at the well. I was praying this. I was praying, oh God, let it be that the girl who comes here to draw water, and I ask her, could you give me a drink? She'll say yes. And she will go on to say, I'll draw water for your camels as well. And she did it. And he tells Laban and Bethuel the story of what happened at the well. And they say, well, this clearly is from God. And uh, so then they're able to sit down and enjoy the meal together. And in the morning, Abraham's servant wants to get going. But they said, oh, could you wait? What about if you just give us 10 days with our sister and our daughter? And Abraham's servant said, you know what? My master is eagerly waiting for me. He wants, this is very important to him. I really need to go. And so they say, uh, go back to here. And they said, well, let's ask her. And she said, I will go. And I think, wow. She would never see her family again. She's like so many people who have come from all around the world to Canada who will never see their family again. They've come here for a better life. She said, I will go. But she's the same person who years later said, I'm disgusted with living. That's the story we want to look at this morning. So find this Wife, And it says here, they marry, and the Bible says that Isaac loved her. Doesn't only say it once. Now, the story goes on that she was not able to have children for 20 years. This is kind of like Abraham and Sarah, the same story all over again. 20 years, not able to have a child. And then it says, that Isaac prayed for her. And she conceived and had a child, well actually twins. And then there's something, you know just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's a good idea. Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. And this is going to become a problem in the family there was a famine in the country and they had to go to Egypt. And on the way down, Isaac is thinking. He's looking at Rebekah and he's saying, she is gorgeous. Those Egyptians, when they see her, they're going to want to do away with me to get her. So he says to her, And that's the deal they made before they went. But the secret wasn't really well kept because one day the Egyptian king was looking out the window and he sees Isaac cuddling with Rebecca. This is not your sister. And he calls him in to give an account and he says, you know, we could have committed a great sin if you had with what you did to us. You lied to us. Nevertheless, he continued there And Isaac becomes wealthy. And conflict comes. You know, oftentimes it's said that religion causes all the wars in the world. We've all been hearing this quite a lot. But actually we see here that it's wealth and land and water and greed that cause a great deal of tension and conflict and it's what happens here. And we find that Isaac is a patient man. He had drilled a well. You know, it's important to have water. Recently, I was in Sudan and talk about a dry and thirsty land. Water is a big deal. It was a big deal in this country. And Isaac had water. It didn't take long till the neighbors began to notice he's got water. And they begin to move over and they're quarreling. Isaac's servants, they're fighting, quarreling. So Isaac takes them to court. No, that's not what happens. Isaac leaves the well. And he goes over a little further and he digs another one. I'd love to know just how far apart were these wells. (laughs) The Bible doesn't tell us that. He digs another well. And it doesn't take long until the neighbors notice Huh, guy's got another well. And they begin to quarrel again about the water and they're moving over and they want this well because this is our land and they begin to have an argument. And Isaac says, this land is large. Let's move and we're going to dig a third well and I can't remember exactly how many wells he dug. I think five or so and um, he just kept moving and not quarreling with them. Quite remarkable. But Esau married two women from this area and uh, the Bible says they were a grief to Isaac and Rebekah. This is when she says she's disgusted with living. Time passes and Isaac is getting old. At least he thinks he's old and he thinks he might die. And, uh, So he needs to pass on the blessing. He's wealthy now, and he needs to make kind of a last will and testament to pass on his wealth to his son. And you know, he's always had a favorite. His favorite was Esau. But he knew at the same time that when these twins were born, that God had said to Rebekah, the older will serve the younger. I don't know what happened to Isaac's brain exactly, but he's determined now, and he says to Isaac, and I think if he had done it public, like when we're all sitting down for dinner, by the way, uh, I'm going to pass on the blessing to uh, Esau after dinner today, that would have been a big problem because Rebecca remembered the blessing was supposed to go to Jacob. And so it seems that Isaac just kind of quietly says, Esau, go out and get some game and cook it the way I love it. And then I will pass on the blessing to you. And this is a family where nobody trusts anybody. He doesn't trust Rebecca, so he kind of says, quietly, you know, Esau go and get me some game. Cook it. I'll give you the blessing. And Rebecca is listening. We don't know if there was a keyhole or exactly what was going on here, but she hears what's happening, and she's alarmed that Isaac is going to do this. is wrong. God had said that it was supposed to be to Jacob her favorite. So she says to Jacob, Jacob, I heard your father saying this. We need to do something. I'm going to cook some food and dad won't know the difference. Jacob says, yeah, but I'm smooth all over and Esau's hairy on his neck and his arms and his hands and everywhere. She says, don't worry, I got this. And she says to Jacob, I'll do the cooking and you... I will put some goat hair on your arms and hands and around on your neck and you'll wear Esau's clothes because they smell different than yours they have a plan and she decides that this is how it's all going to unfold doesn't take long she's finished cooking and uh Jacob takes the platter into his dad and he says, Father, here I am. This is the food that I've prepared for you. And he said, Oh, how did you manage to get it so quickly? Oh, he said, The Lord was with me. <laughs> what a liar. The Lord was with me. Wow, Isaac is still kind of puzzled about this. And he says, uh, the voice is the voice of Jacob but the clothes are the clothes of Esau and the hands and the neck and so they eat together and Isaac gives him a blessing and he promises him everything and he's no sooner finished and Esau shows up God bless you, my father. I have found the game and it is cooked in it. He said, who are you? He said, I am Esau, your son. Well, then Isaac said, "Who who did I just bless here? Who was here? Now, all the trouble is on the table. Esau is furious. But he says... Actually, the fury came a little bit later. First, he says, don't you have some kind of a blessing for me? And Isaac understood now that somehow God was in this. It was impossible to reverse what he had done. He said, isn't there even a little blessing for me? And Isaac says, I have given him the dues of heaven. I have given him everything. And then he prays a modest little prayer at the end for Esau. Everyone was wrong in this family. Isaac, for continuing with his pet son, forgetting about, forgetting about, wanting to forget, I don't know what happened to him. Rebecca, so deceitful, Jacob, as deceitful as anybody, and he kept on. If you read the rest of the story, you'll find that he continued to be a deceitful man. Esau is so angry, and the Bible says that Rebekah overheard him comforting himself with the idea of killing Jacob. That's a pretty sour comfort. Comforting himself with the idea. And Rebekah said, you know, we got to do something. And she talked to Isaac, and they agreed That we need to send Jacob away back to her family where she had come from. They never see him again. Did Rebecca have these questions? Is God unfair? There's nothing in the story that tells us precisely. Is God silent? Probably yes. Is God hidden? Probably yes. So when Rebecca was under pressure and God didn't seem to be saying anything, she did what many of us do. She took matters into her own hands with disastrous results. So what should we do at times like that? There are times when any one of us here, maybe tomorrow or later this afternoon, maybe we're in a situation where we have a decision to make, Nothing is happening, we don't know what to do, we have to do something because it's urgent. We have advantages that Rebecca didn't have. We have a Bible, she didn't. We know about Jesus, she didn't. We have the Holy Spirit, she didn't, or at least not in the same way that we do. So I'm wanting to be a little gentle with Rebecca today. The Bible is, doesn't all just come in one chunk. It's an unfolding revelation of God, and at the beginning of Genesis, Enoch, in at Genesis chapter 4, it says that he walked with God. Now, what did that look like, Enoch walked with God? Well, Noah walked righteously. Nobody else was doing that. It was not in, in his day. And with Abraham, we learned that he walked in the fear of God. Respect for God. So right at the beginning, there was this capacity, and God is always looking for this, looking for people like us who will willingly walk with him. In Exodus and onward throughout the Old Testament, this phrase that he's looking for people who will walk in his ways is still true. God is looking for people here and here and here who will walk in His ways, will walk by faith, will do it with your heart and soul, not just putting on a show or doing something to get by. No, no, He's looking for something much more than that. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, walk in the light. And in Romans and Galatians, walk by the Spirit, and in 1 Peter, it says, follow, walk in His steps. So throughout the whole of Scripture, we're seeing that God is looking for this. But of course, there are sometimes miracles along the way. Things that happen that are completely astonishing for our benefit and for our favor and for the glory of God. But these miracles don't come on demand. You can't just press 100 and get, choose the on demand with miracles, but they do happen and I love to tell the stories because negative stories pass along by themselves somehow, but good stories you have to tell. Stories of the goodness of God and of the miraculous working of God need to be told. We need to tell each other when these things are happening because we may find, well if they're not happening to us, maybe they're not happening to anybody. This past week I was in Winnipeg and I was with a group of Chin people. This is a tribal group from the northwest corner of Burma or also called Myanmar. These Chin people were reached by an American missionary in about 1889. Within 50 or 60 years the entire state became Christian. In a country that is completely uh, Buddhist, this state and about half of another state are Christian. It's quite remarkable. My friend told me that on a Sunday morning, like 98.9% of the people would be in church on Sunday morning. Well, I've never, ever lived in a place like that. And anyway, they were having this conference because uh, they are being... Treated violently by a military government in that country, the the country is the military regime is at war with them. Has been fighting with its own people for 75 years, but especially in the last two and a half, when uh, a democratic government was elected and they said we can't have this, they shut it down, put the person who was elected in prison, still in prison, and they're at war again. So these people that were gathered in Winnipeg, they were praising God together, knowing that their relatives back home are being bombed day by day. But this man is an American, actually, and he was at the conference, and he is presently the pastor of a small Chin congregation in Edmonton. And uh, Last week, for the first time ever, he preached an entire sermon in the Chin language at this conference. And I could just see people, these Chin people were all kind of smiling and looking at each other. He's doing it. (laughs) He's preaching in our language. We're kind of accustomed to missionaries going to other places and learning languages. We're not so familiar with the idea of people coming here and people from here learning their language in order to communicate with them. Uh, the gospel in the Bible, but that's what he's doing. He walks with a cane. So a couple of days after he spoke, I was having lunch, and we were at the same table. I said, Don, what happened? What happened to you? Why do you need that cane? And he said, it's about 30 years ago. We were in Vancouver at the time. And there was a parasite, a waterborne parasite, apparently that I drank. And it made me terribly sick. It affected me everywhere. I was in pain. I had no idea what to do. We, we had five children. My wife was expecting our sixth. And I was lying on her lap, crying like a baby. He said, We went to the (laughs) oh the big clinic in Minneapolis, what's it called? yes Mayo Clinic went there and he said they checked me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet and the doctor said if you live to see your children grow up you will be very fortunate He went on to say, when I was crying, we got the call to come down to the hospital office, the administrative office, because now we have to pay. He said, this is not Canada. We owed $17,000, and we had exhausted everything we had. And right about at that time, they had a phone call from a friend And the friend said, we know you're in trouble. We've been raising some money. It's not a lot, but it's about $17,000. It was so moving to hear this story. He went on to say, and he's crying telling me, he went on to say that we were on... A pension, a meager pension for 23 years and you know the price of housing in Alberta can go up and down drastically we bought a house outside of Edmonton a large property and a huge house and we're paying less than what we had been paying for rent I asked him I said, Don, were you at some point disappointed with God? And he said, How could I be? He's carried me all these years. And I thought, hmm, I think he's better than me. I've been disappointed. <laughs> I was so impressed to hear his story. And the question for us is when we are disappointed or things are not unfolding as we had hoped, the Proverbs say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will straighten your path. And the New Testament says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. The peace of Christ, what is that? You know that when Jesus was about to die, he was with his disciples, just a small number of them. And as they were together, he said, I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't come. But then he goes on to say, but we will be with you. The Holy Spirit will be with you. And he goes on to say later in that same chapter that he and the Father will come and make our abode in you. We're going to be with you. He's saying to them, I'm going, you're all going to run away, the most bold among you will deny he ever knew me, but we will be with you. So when I'm praying today, I'm saying, God, Would you walk up those stairs with me today? I know you say you will, but I'm just saying it again. Would you stand with me? So that when I'm talking to these people, it's not just me talking, because you said you would be with me, would be in me. That peace of Christ, whatever the situations are that we are in or that we are facing, we may not know the answer, but we've had this reassurance that He will be with us, will be in you, and we will never leave you. And so that we can talk it over with Him wherever we are going and saying, Jesus, you're still here, right? You're still in me, you're with me. What do you think about this? This decision that I'm about to make, are you good with this? We're just talking it over. Do we have peace with Christ? about this particular decision, it's an important way to do it. I would like to, we're going to have communion in a few minutes, and there's a strong connection between Isaac and communion. I'd like to read from Genesis chapter 22. It goes like this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early, the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, and he took with him, two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in a distance. He said to his servants, stay here. Stay here with the donkey while I, go, I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And the two of them kept walking. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. There is a number of things, similarities. Isaac had a father who was prepared to kill him. Are you still there? Isaac had a father who was prepared to kill him, and Jesus had a father who allowed him to be killed. Abraham believed God could or would raise his son from the dead if necessary. And Jesus' father did raise his son from the dead. Abraham believed a greater good was coming through Isaac, that all the nations would somehow be blessed through him. But God the Father knew that the whole world would be reconciled through the death of his son. Isaac carried the wood for his own sacrifice. And Jesus carried wood across to Calvary. Isaac was willingly tied to the altar of sacrifice, but Jesus was willingly nailed to a cross. Isaac was the only son of Abraham and Sarah, and Jesus was God's only begotten son. Abraham's servants stayed away from the place of sacrifice, and the disciples of Jesus also stayed away from the place of sacrifice. And the place where Isaac was to be offered was very close to the very same place where Jesus was offered. A ram was substituted for Isaac's life, but Jesus became the substitute for you and for me. God is speaking through the entire scriptures He wants us to understand His determined love. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to walk near Him, with Him, consistently, passionately. This is the love of God. So as we eat and drink juice and bread here today, we are remembering Isaac, yes, but much more so that the Son of God loved us and gave His life for us. And when we eat and drink together today, we are remembering not only what, does, what He did for us, but we're also remembering that He is calling us to walk with Him. He's always been calling people to walk in His ways. To trust him fully, no matter what is going on. So, Abra, or Rebecca had a hard time remembering this. When the pressure was on, it seems she forgot all about it. It can happen to us. But here we are, being reminded through this story of Rebecca and Isaac, being reminded of this passion of God. I'm going to pray and thank our Lord for this juice and this bread which we are about to eat and drink. And if you are here today and, you know what, you never really got this before, but this morning you think, I get it, this is important, then I just wish you would eat and drink together with us. And if you've been drifting, God is looking for people who will walk with Him. He is passionate about it. He's looking for you to walk with Him this afternoon and tomorrow and next week. It's what He's looking for.